Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 79, Cinnamon Toast, recorded January 27th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Why, yes? You, know, you should be proud of me, Mark. I, f- I left out the, I suppressed my urge to say crunch after you said cinnamon, <laughs> cinnamon toast. Cinnamon toast. Cinnamon crunch. toast crunch. Uh, just so you know, yes, we are aware that last week's episode was episode 80, and this one is episode 79. Um, I got the notes mixed up and numbered them wrong and just decided to roll with it. The command line godfather suggested we just skip 79 and move on to 80 and call it the lost episode. But no, I'm going to roll with it. With it. So, uh, And that command line godfather would be Mr. Chris Neves. Hi, Chris. Hey, hey, hey. What's up, guys? I'm oh, just doing a podcast there, Fat Albert. That's it? <laughs> I'm and, good at that one, darn yeah. it. I used to be the Fat Albert in my school. Now I'm not so fat, so much. You got to go the her, her, her. And that uh, that voice you just heard is, of course, the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hello, Seth. Howdy, everyone. Welcome to the wonderful world of Linux podcasting. It's good to have you back. Uh, the uh, flaming comments from last week's show have have begun to uh, subside just a little bit. Actually, I'm, I'm going to be honest. There was much less feedback about that show than I expected. I, I fully expected hate to rain down. And uh, while I did get a number of emails uh, and Google Plus posts and such, um, it really wasn't as incendiary as I expected. Uh, and frankly, I don't think any of them, uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to at this point uh, choose to um, read any of them on the show uh, just because they, they're rehashing old territory. Uh, nobody, uh, yeah, I'm going to throw this out there. Nobody gave me... Um, an intelligent, um, articulate rebuttal of anything I said. A lot of people told me I was wrong. Okay, I can accept that. Uh, but uh, not many people, no, not not just not many. Nobody said, uh, you know, here's the here's the things you the that you misrepresented, and we should correct them this way. Um, so we just, uh, uh, I'm just, you know, until I get that, I, I am fact, I am willing. To do an entire rebuttal show to that uh, sometime in the future, where where if you want to step up and and be the voice of of Stallman and uh, and come and, and represent him um, on the show, I'm willing to do that. Let me know, or we could do you know some sort of thing where the the chat room um, you know speaks up or whatever. But you know, as I said in the in the previous show, you can't really um, represent. An argument. You can't really understand your position until you've had to defend it. And so I, I put open source in the the position of having to defend itself. And um, there wasn't a lot of defense. There was, there was rebuke, but not defense. So I think that says something for the state of the open source community. And and I'm not going to make any further comments than that. Just that uh, you know you should be able. To articulately and intelligently um, state your beliefs, and if you can't, you got to wonder how much, how deeply you believe them. So I'm going to stop uh, poking the uh, salted wound now, and uh, and just move on, um, guys. You, I, I have a couple of things else I want to talk about, but uh, either of you have something you want to throw in there for a warm up? Yeah, sure. I got something I'll throw in there. My 
new slash used slash refurbished laptop that I'm now working with. Um, it's now going to be my test rig for any of these de- uh, de- desktops or distributions that I'm going to be throwing at it. I figured I was tired of waxing machines out left and right or virtualizing them. So, haha, Seth, you can't tell me all I do is virtualize. <laughs> I actually have a Dell Latitude laptop that I'll be running all of my test boxes through now. I was actually what thinking of changing it? your name to the Virtual Kid. Possible. <laughs> uh, it's a Latitude E4300. Oh, wow, that's old. Well, I figured old means well-supported in most Linux distributions. That's true. Hey, Chris, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Are you going to give me an offer I virtually can't refuse? Oh. <laughs> Jeez, that was a horrible one. Funny, but horrible. And for those of you watching the video, either live or on YouTube after the fact, youtube.com slash Mark A. Cockrell, um, you'll see uh, over Chris's left shoulder uh, a machine not running Linux, uh, displaying <laughs> some of the uh, the one of the traits that we have all come to know and love non Linux based machines for. Would you like to describe that to the audience, Chris? Uh, well, let's just say it's a typical blue screen for a memory management error. Stop zero zero blah 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 one a. And it's uh, driving me absolutely crazy because it so far has not been very troubleshooted friendly. When we started so, the call, I told him, you've, you've you got to leave that. You have to leave that throughout the show because it's perfect uh, backdrop for a Linux podcast. I like it. Actually, I was going to actually turn it off because I'm tired of it blue screening on me, <laughs> but eh, whatever. <laughs> it's fun. So it must be Windows XP, because with Vista and 7, they don't blue screen anymore. They just reboot. And and that's a big marketing thing. No more blue screens. You're right. Yeah, sometimes they're black and sometimes they're red. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Every now and then you'll see a flash of blue, and then it reboots. Yep. Uh, And a throwback to an episode we did a while back. Uh, I revived my Boris box um, a little while ago. Uh, you know, I had talked uh, before about getting my kids tablets for Christmas, and, and I, I wanted to be able to filter their content, uh, their their internet access, you know, to their, the, the oldest is 10, and the youngest is 8. There's there's uh, big chunks of the web out there that they're just not ready for yet. And so right. I, uh, I wanted to uh, filter them, and, and I, I, I spoke on the show before about the difficulty I was having with Comcast redirecting my DNS, and I, and I couldn't... Uh, use uh, open dns so i pulled out the old boris box the it's an old <laughs> 900 megahertz uh ancient laptop that has uh ip cop and dan's guardian on it plug that in and uh we have filtered internet access not only filtered but uh i'm not getting any more crazy ip conf- uh, collisions or uh, uh, nothing's dropped since i did that everything is much more stable since i started taking my own advice um, and it was literally, I mean, cause I, it's, it, it, I had ran it for years, um, just was tucked up under my bed in my old house, uh, where the main internet connection was. Um, and it's, it's so old. Of course, the batteries are just totally toasted when, when the power goes off, it hard crashes and I have to reset it, but it's not a big deal. It's, it recovers flawlessly every time I just have to push the button. 
but all right. of, all of my pro- almost all of my problems totally went away when I threw out. Um, see, I had gone through. Uh, I started with the Comcast router, and I, and I got rid of that one, and I got um, an off the shelf Netgear, I think, and it didn't work. And I went back and got a more expensive uh, Linksys, one of the the their top of the line VPN models that was like 150 or whatever bucks, still a consumer grade mod, uh, thing, and it, n- none of those fixed my issues. So yeah, I went and back to probably caused some more issues because yeah. it's garbage. So I went back to my, uh, uh, well, they're Cisco now. It's not Linksys, but that's yeah. still the name. But anyway, I went, so I went back to my circa 1998 laptop that's wheezing and coughing and barely running, <laughs> and things got better. Thank you, Linux. Well, I'm running PFSense here at my house, and it's been a beast of a machine, and. I even got the whole uh, uh, caching going on. So, yeah, everything seems to be so much better on my house, too. Yeah. I actually turned the caching off just because the machine was so busticated that uh, caching was making it slower. It was that, uh, I think, one RPM uh, hard drive that's <laughs> in there that was causing the issue. I mean, this thing is janky. You you have no idea. You ever heard of Jetta? No, no one has. Except Seth, because he was around when I bought them where we used to work. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. It's a Japanese off, off, off brand manufacturer. And they they were, it weighs like nine and a half pounds. It's a chunk. Um, but it's a tank. And it has lasted all these years, running almost 24-7, uh, when it no longer was useful as a as a laptop. I started using it for other places, and now it's my Boris box. So Boris for the win. <laughs> That's right. And the next thing I want to talk about, it's, it's old news now, but uh, I've decided that Java is like bacon. Everybody knows <laughs> it's bad for you. Everybody knows it will kill you, but we all have it, and we all use it more than we should. It's, it's in everybody's, you know, bacon's in everybody's refrigerator, and everybody's doctor says get rid of it. All the experts say we don't need Java, but everybody's computer has Java on it. So Java is digital bacon. That's that's the uh, analogy I've come up with. The caveat to that is people love bacon. <laughs> no one <laughs> loves Java. <laughs> yeah, Dowdle in the chat room says he uses turkey Java. Uh, <laughs> nice. That's a good turkey one. Java, nice. There needs to be a turkey Java, frankly. Somebody needs to come up with an alternative, a good virtual machine that will do real-time operating system stuff uh, and not have as more holes in it than a screen door. Is that even possible? It would be nice, but I mean, Flash tried it, right? Flash is sort of a quasi-virtual machine, and it's riddled with holes. Um, you know, it it can be right. done, but it's not easy or cheap, and therefore it will not be done. And anytime something gets good, it's bought up by one of the big companies and turned into garbage, and they ruin it. Exactly. A la Java, yeah. So a la Flash. So <laughs> thank if, you, Oracle and Adobe. If you have Java <laughs> enabled in your browser, stop this podcast right now. And go turn it off. Go uh, get no script and you'll be happier. Right. Um, I, I use it, for example, uh, Justin TV, for which I use to broadcast this uh, show, is a Java app if you use it in the web browser. Um, so, you know, I've got to have a web. I've got to have it. Now, I, I actually use uh, uh, something else. I use uh, Flash Media Encoder, but that's, that's neither here nor there. You run into stuff all the time or at least I do, that requires Java in the browser. So you can't easily 
just turn it off. So you could enable it in one browser and not use that browser. In my case, that's IE. You know, I only use IE when I get to a site that uh, Chrome or Firefox won't work on. Or as Chris right. said, no script. Or in um, in Chrome, I think it's called not script. I have both of those uh, running. And it's it's really a, a great thing. It's just a little thing that stays out of the way. You come to a page, stuff doesn't work. You look at it and you say, oh, these are the things it wants to uh, enable. You make your choice, yes or no. I use the temporarily enable function. So it, for that session, it'll let that page run. Uh, there are ways right. to do it, but if you've got, uh, you know, you might have be a Minecraft player. That's Java. There are lots of, mm-hmm. of softwares that require Java. Um, if you have installed a cheap LibreOffice, <laughs> yeah, uh, you're not anymore. They used to, yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you have installed any uh, cheap inkjet printers lately, probably some of the monitoring software that is required to install that thing is running on Java. And if you don't have Java, it'll install Java for you. So. It's there, but it'll kill you, people. Java, like bacon, will kill you. It will, in the end, it will clog your digital arteries and you will die. <laughs> but unlike real bacon, it won't be a sweet death. <laughs> that's true. true. Um, I think that's it. Let's, think? let's on to the news. Uh, we have a thing here about Ubuntu phone. Didn't we talk about that last week? I think we did, didn't we? No? I, it was on the list, but I think it got cut. Um, Ubuntu is making phones. Okay, next. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> and another thing is they are, they're kind of reaching out to the community for like, you know, what apps do you, should be on default. So it's like, you know, they've kind of got a skeleton list of stuff, but they have, um, they're at least seeking the community involvement in it rather than... So they'll at least have the pretext of saying, hey, we asked before we told you what it was going to be. So, Yeah, I know we covered this because I made the argument then that the that Unity, the whole reason they created Unity was so that they could put it on mobile devices later. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, I think we squished it. So speaking of uh, the cell phone world, um, depending on how you read a new law, it could now be considered a federal offense to to root or rom your own phone Hmm. yes uh and it's not so much a a new law but it's basically the library of congress head librarians interpretation of a statute that you know i think every couple of years they look at the statute and says okay how does this apply now and my understanding is if you buy a smartphone subsidized by a carrier that has a lot to get the yeah. Yes, you have to get the carrier's permission to unlock it. Right. Now, so, uh, they, know, it, a couple of years ago, they came out, the Library of Congress came out, and they, they make exemptions to the D- DMCA. They have that uh, authority, which is weird that the Library of Congress can do that. Uh, but they have a list of exemptions, and cell phones were on that list of exemptions, uh, saying that uh, if you... Um, jailbreak a phone that is an exemption to the dmca um when they revisited it they took it off the exemption list sort of it was cell phones sold before um like november or october of last year uh, are exempted anything sold after that had a 90-day grace period the 90-day grace period has ended so now going forward 
until they change their mind again, um, uh, unlocking uh, a bootloader is a violation of the Digital Millennium Copyright Right Act and therefore a federal offense. And I think DMCA they label you burned to the ground and salted. And, yeah, they label you a terrorist, send you to Gitmo and waterboard you. And you will never be able to fly again. I expect now TSA agents at airports to be not only sticking their hands down my pants, but asking to see my phone to see if it has an unlocked boot loader. Because clearly that's something only a terrorist would do. Yeah, yeah only, yeah. Now, fortunately, it, it, my phone was purchased before that, so yay. Now, is that going to stop me from rooting my next phone? Not only no, but hell no. I hate the DMCA. I absolutely hate that law. But again, Mark, you normally pay full price for your phone, so you can do whatever you want to with it because you actually... I mean, this is the same thing as saying, hey, you bought that computer with Windows on it. It's against the law to put a different operating system on it. I mean, that's ridiculously stupid. Yeah. But, you know, it's so great that we live in such an awesome country that there is nothing better for <laughs> our right. government to do than nitpick such asinine crap as this. Um, but, the, you know, if you're a, a, a non-U.S. citizen listening to, the, listening to this and you think that it's just three Americans ranting about something that's not important to you, trust me, governments, uh, particularly um, um, large corporate interests all over the world, pay attention to this stuff. And yep. and though it will be coming to your country soon, citing U.S. case law as precedent. And Mark, say, you you, you uh, misspoke. They don't pay attention; they pay for this. That's stuff. a good point. Yeah, they so, they were making this happen. They weren't paying yes. attention to it. Um, DMCA uh, Digital Millennium Copyright Act. If you're not familiar, was in 1996, I believe. It was a total revamping of U.S. copyright laws because prior to that time, copyright laws literally had words like phonograph and mimeograph it written into the law. So uh, they rewrote it to make it more uh, digital millennium because you know it was the millennium and every law written for about five years there in the u.s had the word millennium in it because 1999 was right around the corner um so um they 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 updated the law and in the process uh it turned out to be a really good opportunity to scratch the back of some very large uh pack uh contributors uh and so you know, somebody once joked, uh, every time Disney's um, copyright on, on Mickey Mouse is about to expire, copyright law changes. Uh, and you know what? I went back and looked it up, and that's darn true. Because copyright originally had an, an, you know a certain expiration date, and then it got changed, and it got changed, and it got changed. Um, so uh, every time, if you look at it, within like a three- or four-year uh, overlap... Anytime Disney's rights are about to expire, the laws change. There's some lobbying going on somewhere. Yeah, no kidding. So anyway, that that doesn't really have anything. Our audience is going to do it anyway. Uh, and and the way the way it works in the U.S. again, I don't know about other countries. Is somebody makes a a, a statement like this? The Library of Congress says this is illegal. Laws really have no standing in the U.S. until they're they're held up in a court. So what's going to have to happen is somebody's going to have to be sued for this. Um, and then a judge is going to have to decide whether that law is constitutional or not. So root your phones like crazy people and don't worry about it. 
That's my unsound, unsafe legal advice that if you follow it, you will die from a bacon aneurysm. <laughs> uh, and next on the list, DARPA Fang Challenge. Now, DARPA is a cool thing. It's the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. They have created such little things like, oh, you know, the internet. Um, and things like in that. In cooperation with Al Gore. Yes, Al Gore actually was uh, was very important. He uh, plugged it in or something. Uh, they have decided to uh, open source the design of the next amphibious assault vehicle. So they've opened, uh, it's, they're called it the Fang Project. And uh, there's a big cash prize out there, a million dollars for somebody who uh, can submit a functional prototype of an amphibious hmm. tank well no they just have to like a uh, design it, well yeah it's, it's not the tank the itself but the drivetrain i think it is you need to have a a drivetrain um that functions and it is designed and showed shown to function uh you don't actually have to have the machine uh in place and it could be it could be uh you know a a, a 3d modeling a simulation in a machine but you have to be able to prove that your design functions um, and you'll get a million dollars, and then they'll take that and roll it into the next step of the process. So they're outsourcing that. You know, they're they're already spending billions on research. Why not outsource some of that and see if you can get good people to make stuff happen? Yeah, it's pretty cool because they actually outsource the code for the modeling of it, which is like normally a pretty hefty thing for people to buy. So, right, kind of cool. Uh, once the drivetrain is built. Um, the top 20 contestants will design more of the vehicle, uh, and then they'll move forward in stages based on how way, well they meet uh, about 150 design goals. And then they'll move on to the next and the next. And eventually, at the end, you should have an amphibious assault vehicle, which, by the way, has been tried and failed a number of times in the past. Billions have been spent on making an air-slash-land assault vehicle. You mean land slash water? I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Land slash water. Air and land would be cool too, actually. Yeah, that would that that would be even cooler in some ways. Yes. So. <laughs> so just a, an interesting little tidbit there, uh, and I, I had some sad news. Uh, it probably nobody's in in this audience is going to care, um, but one of my favorite projects that I have been watching uh, for a long time, Webcam Studio for Linux. Um, has been around for five-ish years and never yeah. got out of alpha stage. And now the developer, Patrick Ballou, is done. He is The code's still out there, but let's face it, he was the only one working on it, and that's why it never got out of alpha stage. He's got too much going on, and he says, if you want to do live video, look at Google+. They got it right. Uh, but if you ever played with Web Stam Webcam Studio, it's a it's a it's an amazing piece of code uh, for tying together multiple webcams um, and and doing lower thirds and graphics and fly ins and incorporating like a chat room over the tag. It was it was awesome. I used to do some really cool stuff with like the point zero one alpha. I mean early early stage stuff. Um, and it, it grew and it changed a couple of times and he it was Java based. There we go. There's Java. Uh, so that made it, while it was technically for Linux and, and used for, I think, G Streamer was what its back end was, it could technically have been used for anything. 
Uh, so the code is out there, and I would love to see somebody pick it up and go with it. But uh, uh, to Patrick Ballou, uh tip of the hat to you. Uh, go and, and do other things and, and make money um, doing something other than open source. A little dig there. Uh, and <laughs> good uh, goodbye, Webcam Studio. Um, alas. We hardly knew we ye. We hardly knew ye. That's right. But we hope that somebody will take up the torch. <laughs> um... Let's see, what time is it? Yeah, okay, we got a time for a couple more. Barracuda. Bases for a backdoor backlash. Yeah, apparently they found a um, security researcher, um, I'm not even going to say the name here, from the SEC Consultant Vulnerability Lab, discovered that hard-coded into most Barracuda devices are... Um, you know, it is set to accept SSH connections from specific IPs with specific username and passwords from outside your network. Um, and this is like your Barracuda spam and virus firewall, your web filter, message archiver, pretty much everything. Um, and there are specific versions that they are found, but I just thought it was, you know, we talked a little bit. I don't know if it was in our uh, our flamethrower portion of our episode last week, but just about... Um, and this is actually one of Stallman's beefs about closed source thing is that it's easy to put backdoors in there because nobody can examine the source code. Um, but anyway, so and it lists and the thing is the IP ranges that it is pro hardwired to accept from Barracuda doesn't own them all. So uh, <laughs> it's an interesting thing, and uh, you can uh, on the uh, news feed you'll be able to check out the article and read over it. I just thought it was a. Uh, it was an interesting article. You know, it's one of those, uh, it, it's every conspiracy, conspiracy theorist. Um, I don't know if nightmare or, or dream, dream. Joy, yeah. Yeah. To, to say that this stuff is out there and it turns out it is. And, Bar and Barracuda isn't some, you know, fly by night, one off security company. They're, a, they're, a, they might not be the big name, but they're a big, well-respected name in uh you know gateway and perimeter security now, now my understanding of this just so that we're clear on this barracuda didn't do this they uh came up with a chip design sent it off to china to be manufactured got the chips back tested them said yeah they do everything they need and, and shipped them and what they found out is that the chinese manufacturer inserted a few extra transistors along the line uh so it, it wasn't that barracuda set out to write back doors it wasn't that they even knew they were there. They hired a chip manufacturer. The chip manufacturer designed a little um, extra into the chip. That that was my understanding of this uh, news story. Really, the uh, article I've read did not mention anything about that. All right. So well, I, I read. I I haven't seen this one on on the H online. I, I read a different article about the same topic. But uh, uh, either way. Um, bad just things. Goes to prove that Barracuda sucks. <laughs> well, see, because this article says Barracuda says that the accounts are essential for customer support and will not be removed. So, okay, you know, I, I don't know. Um, well, we may be talking be about both. two different things. Then there it may be, be two both. different doomsday stories out there, and and we're talking about two different ones. Huh. Well, again, conspiracy theorists are just salivating at the mouth for yeah. uh, for more of this. Um, you remember the the webcams that were open to the internet? You, know, you remember those? They were IP webcams that yeah. uh, there's like a Google search you could do that'll show you all of them, and you just log in and 
you're watching somebody's backyard or or hopefully the backyard uh or you know something like that i i, I it's been a while back but that i, I remember well, that story a lot of them are like on uh, google earth um or google maps you can go in and it'll show you a little video thing and you can click on it and you can see the feed so you know, I don't know All how right, many of them are still out there. That's the conte- context of the news story. That, that's I remember now. Um, somebody had done a Google Maps mashup of a search for those and their location on uh, Google Maps. So, that, yeah, you could get a map of it with a little red push pin, and you click on it, and you log into the camera. And Google disabled that API access for that, hmm. uh, saying, you know, it's still out there. You can still search for it, but let's not make it that easy. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it was nice. It was fun. <laughs> so I hear. Not that I would ever do that. Um, I was experimenting. <laughs> uh, 2012, <laughs> the year of the Linux IT Pro. Didn't we say that about 2011 and, and 2010 and, and 2000 and, and 1998? Well, this is from a dice survey that shows that Linux Pros saw a giant salary leap last year. Um, IT pros saw a salary increase last year, but the Linux skills tended to do even better. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those, it's not just that, oh, look at this, this guy has Linux on his resume, you know, that would be cool. It's like, you have Linux, we want you, here's extra money. So, you know, again, it's not like, you can't just put Linux on your resume and get hired for a six-figure job. Believe me, I've tried. But... <laughs> But, you know, if you have demonstrable skills in Linux, um, there that will open additional doors and open additional purse strings uh, in your search for gainful employment. Yeah, and, I, mean, I never saw a raise in my salary. I think Dice needs to recheck my list. Yeah. Well, well, I think... Standard I th- internet disclaimer, your mileage may vary. Right. <laughs> the way I interpret the, those data, and yes data is a plural term, uh, is that um, IT pros are having to be more versatile now. You can't just be uh, an MCSE and done with it. That That's what I understand. Not that Linux is going to uh, lead you down the primrose path, but that if you expect to keep your job and advance in your job, you have to do, know more stuff. And Linux is, is a major player now. It's right up there in the market with everybody else. Uh, and and so you, you're going to have to have those skills. That's my interpretation of yeah, that data. Especially in the back end and in the server room, the big iron, so to speak. You know, maybe maybe it's never penetrated to the desktop uh, with any significant success, but in in the back in the back closet where us IT geeks hang out, it's very well entrenched, and in in a lot of cases is the better solution. Not always, but a lot of cases it is the better solution. So, Seth, I'm going to pose a simple question to you. Okay. This should be an easy question that anybody could answer with a simple uh, Google search. Who's got the best market share on desktop OSs? Well, on desktop OSs, Microsoft by far has the best market share. But in terms of computers in general, I'm waiting for... uh, you know, Linux has like double the market share of Windows, and uh, you know we'll put the uh, notes in the in the uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. But 
I just wanted to read the uh, one quote. It's like, if you consider Net Applications data set, then Linux owns only about 1% of the desktop OS market, and Windows has almost 92%. But if you consider all computing platforms, including mobile, then Windows has about 20%, and Linux has 42%, and that would be in the form of Google's Android alone. Not more or less legitimate than claiming Windows owns 92% of the market. It's just a matter of perspective. Figures so, don't lie, but liars sure figure. Yep, that's right. So you Statistics know, I mean, are, the, are a liar's best friend. Yes. Yep. And I, I just, by the way, that inelegant uh, uh, transition was not Seth's fault. I went out of order from the show notes. He <laughs> thought I wasn't going to do that one, closed that window, and then I made him reopen it on the spot. <laughs> Yes, and while I have good bandwidth for my area, I'm still bandwidth impaired to <laughs> you with your, like, 15 gigs throughput. How dare you insult me? It's 75 gigs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I can't comprehend that number. That's why I said 15. <laughs> that would be nice. I, I, uh, I read uh, an article. What was it? Uh, I, I should really... I should really think about writing some of these down sometime as I'm reading articles. But some some government agency said that they were going to make it their goal to see gigabit in at least one city in every state by the year 2020. I think I, I may totally be making that up, but it was um, it was a projection or a goal or an expectation or something that they wanted at least a gigabit pipeline in every state. Um, you know, through either a municipality or, you know, like Google's uh, fiber project, something, uh, that was their goal, that there's there's at least a gigabit everywhere. Because once you get that, you know, like in Montana, where, where Chris is, uh, I, you know, even the, the big data centers have a hard time getting a gigabit, right? Yeah. Some places are, you know, if you're close to the backbone, you can get a good connection for, you know, like a school or something. But as far as like where I'm at, way out in the boonies, um, you know, we just recently got notification saying that CenturyLink is going to jump our connection speed from that we can we have the availability now of 17 megs down. <laughs> they they move from the regular can of corn size uh, tin can and a string to the big industrial size That's right. can of corn. Yeah, the big old monster. <laughs> So yeah, and that's and that's if that's the not your guaranteed speed, but the uh, theoretical maximum. Yes, the up to speed. Up to is some of the best words uh, in a in a uh, telecoms world. Up to, yeah, which means yeah, you it know, could be I anything get, below that. Yeah, I get up to fifty gigs down. <laughs> that's right. <You> know? <laughs> up to the theoretical maximum is. Uh, but any, uh, back to the, the market share story. Market share is one of those words that's thrown around all the time about all sorts of stuff. Uh, you know, we talk about uh, handset <coughs> OS market share and is it Apple or is it Android or is it BlackBerry? <coughs> Excuse me, I couldn't say that with a straight face. Um, who is it that has the, the best uh, market share? It really all depends on what what numbers you choose to cherry pick. You know, Apple right. can say that they're a leader in the handset, uh, uh, in the mobile OS thing, and they can chop the numbers up so that, that you get that. And Android can say that, that they are, and, and if you count every device with Android on it, they're the clear winner. So it just depends on, on the numbers you choose to look at. So um, 
using that to to reinforce an argument or shoot down an argument either way is pointless and bogus so i love these market share stories yeah i just you know i like to i just like to put them out there and throw some numbers around because you know i mean we're in linux podcast so we've got to throw numbers around don't we indeed let's shake the tree and see what falls out and speaking of linux there's a shake up at the top kind of yes um Alex Co- or Alan Cox, who is like the number two Linux kernel guy behind Linus, and is- a first class neckbeard, I might <laughs> yes. say. Yes, uh, first class neckbeard. I the picture just it renders you speechless. I really uh, I can't even kind of look at it on my screen when <laughs> I do this story because it's it's just it's out there. It's like if you watch Duck Dynasty. They, they seek to emulate him is uh, about the only way I can say it. Um, but anyway, so for like 21 years, he's been the, uh, he's like been the number two man. And so he is stepping down in the community. And the thing is though, you know, it's not like he's being kicked out. And of course, I guess even if he was being kicked out, he would say he wasn't. But, you know, since we do cover Linux, it, it is news when the, uh, when the number two developer says uh, I'm leaving <laughs> the Linux world and Intel for a bit of family reason. So, <laughs> and then is the great quote, uh, there's going to be a little blue here, but I have to read this. So, uh, uh tell your kids to, to earmuffs. Or is that in that, that movie? Um, yeah. He says, I'm leaving the Linux world and Intel for a bit for family reasons, he wrote. I'm aware that for, quote, family reasons is usually management speak for, quote, I think the boss is an asshole. But I'd like to assure everyone that while I frequently think Linux is an asshole and for very good uh, and therefore very good as a kernel dictator, I'm departing quite uh, genuinely for family reasons and not because I've fallen out with Linus or Intel or anyone else. Far from it. I've had great fun working there. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, yep, there we go. We've covered our Linux news. So, <laughs> so that's that's it's, one of those things where uh, the people who are down on Linux will look at that and say, see, it's falling apart. It's falling apart. The number two guy is leaving because the number one guy is a jerk. No, he just kind of just said he's not. He said, yeah, I think he's a jerk, by the way, while we're at it. Yes, he is a jerk, but that's not why I'm leaving. Yeah, and he needs to be a job. I mean, you can't be the number one guy in a thing like that and please everybody or nothing would ever get done. Exactly. So exactly. being a jerk is not always a bad thing. And that's what I tell my wife every time she... Never mind. Oh, <laughs> and she quit listening to this show how long ago? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Command Line Godfather, you've lived with uh, Cinnamon for, what, about six weeks now? What, oh, what hey, say uh, you about it? Oh, wait. Yes, Seth? What? I just want to mention that um, after we talked about Haiku on this show, Google donated $5,000 to them. The, behold if, if, the if, power of Alvin Opie. <laughs> you know, I mean, Google ponied up $5,000 to donate to Haiku this year after we mentioned them on our show. F- $5,000 uh, you know, I mean, to Google is a rounding error. That could have been a sneeze <laughs> on a report. Yes, and while I am not claiming a connection in the two, you know, I can't, you know, I can't rule one out either. So I just, I just wanted to mention that <laughs> correlation does not necessarily represent causality. <laughs> yes, and uh, how does it say the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence? There you go. So, uh, command line, Godfather, Cinnamon, go. Cinnamon. Oh, let's see. Well, 
Is it guess, tasty well, and, and scrumptious go and good on, bit, on bread? What, Mark? Is it tasty and scrumptious and good on bread? Yes, oh, very much so. Okay. And it's it's quite good in, in uh, if you use it for a, a an add-on to your hamburger. I frequently put it in my barbecue rub, yep. but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, that's that's the different type of cinnamon. Uh, I think we should go back and describe what cinnamon is and why we're testing it out. Because cinnamon is a desktop environment. It's a it's like Windows has Aereo and whatever the new stupid thing is with Windows Eight. <laughs> that's the official name, the stupid thing with Windows Eight. Just right, in so, case anybody. So let, let's back up a little bit. And do a little history. All right, so you, you uh, true neckbeard out there, the pointy-headed intellectuals, just uh, skip forward a little bit. But for the true everyday folks who are using Linux, uh, a little history lesson. Uh, when we when we talk about um, the things we've talked about in the past, GNOME 3, uh, KDE, those sort of things, uh, these are desktop environments. They're windowing systems, all right? So uh, your computer, your operating system does not have anything pretty clicky built into it by nature that has to be added on to it even yep. you know back in the days of of dos right the black box with the white letters that's what all kernels the cores of operating systems are the pretty clicky stuff that you interact with is called a desktop environment or a de and in the linux world there are two big ones now that's not to say there aren't more, but it's like it's like saying are you a Democrat or a Republican in talking politics? Sure, there are other parties out there, but the odds are you're one of the two. So in Linux, the Democrats and the Republicans are KDE and GNOME. And uh, there you uh, go. And GNOME is built on uh, the GIMP toolkit GTK. Uh, uh, GIMP being an excellent um, um, graphics editor, based uh, it was basically a clone of Photoshop. It's what it was designed to be. And when Mattis and Kimball created GIMP, they had to create uh, a library to to make it all work. And so that that somebody else took that library and made an entire desktop environment out of it. That's the GNOME desktop. Now another team created the Qt library, spelled Qt, but pronounced Qt. And the KDE team built their whole desktop around Qt. So it all comes down to what the, the, the foundation of it is. So there's GNOME and the KDE. There's the, the, the Republicans and the Democrats. Now, there's, there's uh, other things out there. There's your, your Libertarians and your Green Parties, and they're all out there, uh, but they're not major players. And so in the major um, OS war, wars, you've got one of the two. KDE, yep. Chris talked about recently, that's his favorite. Uh, and it's been relatively... Uh, stable throughout the years. I mean, it's uh, they're up to KDE five now. Is that right, Chris? Four point nine, I think, is the current okay. release number. All right. So four, um, I don't know what they're going to do for five, but I know four point. It's four point eight or four point nine. It's pretty close to five at this point. So the, it's been stable, and they've introduced new things, and and you know, f- back and forth for a while, GNOME was the stable one, and KDE wasn't the stable one, and then they sort of leapfrogged and back and forth. But KDE sort of uh, stayed uh, the course uh, for a while, um, while GNOME has recently had a really big bifurcation. The, the GNOME 2 is the really stable one that sort of looks like Windows 95 or Windows XP. And mm-hmm. GNOME 3 came out and totally changed everything. And we re- we soundly lambasted it on this show repeatedly. Um, and, you know, on the same note, though, when KDE 4 first hit the field, I was in the same boat. I 
bashed KDE because 4 was so broken when it first released. Um, so it, it's one of those things that every time change is painful. So anytime, anytime you have your entire desktop shifted that hard, it's going to get bashed on and it should be bashed on because it's broken at the time. Right. And so, uh, cinnamon is, a, a, an attempt to make gnome three look and act like gnome two. So you still have the new building blocks that you can go forward on with GNOME 3, but you have the look and feel and function that you're comfortable with all the way back from like the Windows 95 days with GNOME 2. Mm -hmm. So there we go. There's the introduction to Cinnamon in in 45 minutes or less. (laughs) So Chris, tell us about your experience with this hybrid bastard child of GNOME 2 and GNOME 3. That's a good way to describe it. It is. It, it does feel like a, a hybrid of the two, and which is what it's supposed to be. There are some of the issues. Some of my issues are because of GNOME itself, the the lack of control that it has. Um, but I, you know, in, in recent episodes, I've been kind of bashed upon because I didn't say, you know, oh, I could have used the whatever that stupid audio controller is to dictate what my sound pulse I, audio. Yeah, the pulse, the super pulse audio controller, not the one that's default, but the one that you have to install by hand, you know, from a repository. And while yes, that is true, without that, you can't control it as much as KDE. The Cinnamon desktop does what it says it's going to do. Um, it's still not perfect. There are pieces of it that still show their window, their GNOME three roots, um, but it's not. I would say it's a beta at this point, in my opinion. Um, there are fundamentally, it works. It works like without a problem. There are some extra flare items that should be in there that should work better, but don't. Um, all in all, I did not feel lost in it though, like I did when I was in GNOME three. The the first couple of times I've tried GNOME three, um, mainly because no, it's so rooted in GNOME two. That it was, oh, I need to go here and then there and then I'm done. So, as far as functionality was, I was able to do my day to day work without any hiccups. Now, it's not perfect, again, for the pulse audio issue that I have. And then there were some weird graphical issues that I had when it came to um, when I was trying to bounce between some of the start menu items. Uh, I'd get some weird graphical glitch and it would freeze up. Gnome to the gnome that interface for a little bit, and then all of a sudden it would refresh itself, and it'd be okay again. So those are the issues that I really had an issue that I really had problems with. You know, it, it would work, and then I would have a hiccup, and then it would rebuild itself, and then it'd be fine again. Um, in my opinion, a desktop environment or a desktop manager should not have those hiccups. They, they should, they, even if the the re where. Let's see, and another one before I continue on that road. Um, the other another issue I had where the Cinnamon desktop itself would lock up. You know, all my other apps would still be functional. I could get, you know, as long as I could still see the window, I could get them to pop in a full in the my the upfront view. But if I tried to get to the start menu or any of the activities buttons on the bar, they, they were inopt with with no help of hope of regaining control. The only way that happened is is when I I had to relaunch the Cinnamon desktop 
with a, a I think it was a yeah you had to get the the run dialogue open and hit R. I don't remember now off the top of my head because it happened at the beginning of my cinnamon experience. Um, I think in probably six months to a year, so a lot of those issues are going to go away, and probably didn't have any, and they probably won't have any more issues like that. Um, but you know if they're going to take away. And I did try this. I guess I should have prefixed this. I did try this on Mint 14. Um, it was a brand new release, and it was a, a functioning system. I didn't have any issues with it. What hardware were you running it on? Um, on all of my on all of my hardware. So the one at on my school desktop at work is uh, I don't remember the exact spec of it but it's an intel video card with i tried it with the standard um open source drivers and the nvidia drivers and that video card has a not it, it does it with every environment that i have a horrible artifacting unless i'm running the nvidia chips or the nvidia drivers so that i didn't di- I, I don't count that as a problem for the art- artifacting but when it comes to um, a, a a natural freeze of the desktop. I don't think that's particularly the driver issue because the Windows itself, if if I did, as long as the the app wasn't full screen, I could still work even with the environment frozen. But if I wanted to launch something new, I couldn't launch anything new. So I don't see that as a graphics driver crash. I see that as a cinnamon crash because the environment broke. On my and then one at home. At home, you have a uh, the new Whizbang Fireball machine, right? <laughs> yeah, the the one at home is a, a it's an Nvidia chipset as well. It's the new 660, um, and that one, in general, most Linux doesn't like it because of the brand new drivers. Because it's and, too new. Yeah. yeah, it's too new, and and that's fine. Um, I I kind of figured that was going to happen anyway. The other machine I tried it on was a um, Dell, I of course don't have it here with me, but it's an older Dell Vostro, no, it's an older Latitude that is using an Intel-based video card. That one had the best um, interaction with it. I never had any issues with the graphics freezing up. Um, I did have some weird broken transitions between um, when I had something full screen and, and I'd minimize it down and try to go to a different program and it would freeze or do this weird glitch moment and then it would clear itself and come back up so i i think those are cinnamon based issues not driver issues because it was the same basic problem would come up on a couple of them um the biggest problem was when i was in a video a full screen video and i would either minimize the video or mac or close the video and go right into another heavy program and it would lock the system a little bit and then it would like I said, it was, it was like the system just kind of froze for a moment and then released. Um, but after I got used to that little hiccup in the, the graphics transition, it wasn't so bad. I, I just wish I didn't have to get used to that half a second of, okay, the system's on, in up for a minute, and then it comes back. So oh, basically what I hear you saying is it was functional but lacks polish. Yeah. Um, and that's why I said it in maybe six months to a year when they the dev team has a little bit more time to beat on it and get some of these these 
top of the issues, you know, I would say it's not a first world. It's not a third world issue. It's a first world issue if you're going to go that way. Um, functionally, it was it was just what it built itself to be. It was a GNOME 3 system that looked just like GNOME 2 and functioned that way. The start menu also did everything it was that I was used to from GNOME 2. So in what they're billing it to is fine. It works like it's supposed to. But as far as if you're a command line guy where I'm bouncing between 50 different programs in different shells and everything else, you might end up with a hiccup and just be prepared for it. And what I what I see there is um, by the time the Cinnamon people get those bugs worked out, GNOME 3 will be stable enough that we won't want Cinnamon anymore. Um, you know, it's 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 like every time Facebook makes a change, all you hear is ire and 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 uh, vitriol about how Facebook sucks, and then three weeks later, everybody's just using Facebook, and then they change it again, and everybody pukes on them again, and then three weeks later, you know, the then the the gnome thing. It's a much longer time scale than that. People have been whining about it for a long time, but they released a brand new paradigm. An entirely new way of doing things. You can't expect people to like that, particularly neckbeards. They're not going to like that. So they're busy refining, and the neckbeards are getting used to it all at the same time. So I think Cinnamon is a nice stopgap, but I think it's a dead project in the end. And that's what it feels like, honestly. Um, It would be a good thing to if you're trying to break somebody into GNOME 3 without shocking them. That's what I feel Cinnamon is. Um, and that's what I, I'm... From the, some of the comments I was reading over on some of the Cinnamon pages, and that's what it, that's what a lot of that stuff read too, is this is a great way to introduce someone to GNOME 3 if they've never seen it before. Uh, I really like it, but I'm sure, like, um, Doddle in the chat room says that uh, a lot of the Mint people would probably be shooting us with a... <laughs> large powered rifles if they had the chance oh so, I, I trust me we will hear from them i assure you we have some and that's people fine. in the mint community who listen to the show and they'll let me know and that bring it on i uh, i welcome your uh, comments on that and that you know and off the beaten path a little bit for for cinnamon but mint in general this the mint team kind of gears on me because they don't take kde as a priority and that pisses me off <laughs> damn you mint if you would be more KDE friendly, I would probably use you as my main desktop. Well, there is but, a KDE spin available, but it's like uh, it's like Ubuntu. It's somebody else does it after the fact. Yep. Yeah, it, it's a second class citizen, and that's what irritates me. Um, if you're going to support it, support it. Don't just put it on somebody else to take care of it. Um, but whatever, that's that's fine. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll stay with my fedora. Uh, my fedora love will still be true. So. Until Fedora changes to to Cinnamon and then away from KDE, well, they do have Cinnamon now in the latest release. They they have Cinnamon and Mate as uh, add-ons, but no. Uh, yeah, but there's some there's some buzz about the interwebs that it's not going to be an add-on, but but front and center in the next couple of releases. It's possible. Yeah, when we'll when see. they get it to the the ovular taco release or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of buzz going around the Fedora community right now. A lot of it's uh, there's a lot of stuff still in in 
backroom talks and and I guess I shouldn't say backroom talks, but at the FUD cons, yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on. So. Those guys are just insane. The entire Fedora team are nuts, but <laughs> you know you gotta love them. They're nuts in the best way. Yeah. Uh, all right. Any other thoughts about Cinnamon or desktop environments in general? Did either of you guys try Cinnamon out? Play with it at all? I have used Cinnamon, but you know, my uh, it was a while back. It was early on, and I felt it was better than uh, GNOME three, which I just resoundingly didn't like. And like you, I did it. I'm a Mint fan. I still recommend today. Somebody new to Linux, what do you want to try? I say Mint. Um, yeah. I'm not as big on Mint as I used to be. Sorry, Mint guys. I'm just not. But there's nobody better, in my opinion, for the the noob. Mint yeah, is the, the open most box noob and, friendly. Yeah, the open box. There you go. Go play with it. Right. Yeah, I, I usually point people at Mint first. And then once they get a couple of weeks in, into their Mint experience, and I bring them into Fedora and say, now this is what it should look like. <laughs> and that's my issue with GNOME 3, because Mint is polished. They they really pride themselves on that. the The graphics are outstanding. the The themes they put together good. They they really produce a polished package, and then they bolt on this the Frankenstein's monster of a desktop environment that really tarnishes their polish. And I think that they, I think they make a mistake when they do that. KDE yeah. would be a better choice because it is much more polished. And I'm a known well, fan, but I think that given the choice between Cinnamon and KDE, um, I would go with, with KDE. Um, yeah. But like I said, KDE I, is a monster. I mean, it's it's not a Frankenstein's monster. It is a desktop owner. It, it takes care of everything, in yeah. my opinion. But I, lo- I like GNOME. I've always liked GNOME better than KDE. That's just the, the side I fall down on in the Holy Wars. Um, I, I like GNOME better than KDE, but I like KDE better than Cinnamon. Yeah. Well, and to each their own, but I'll stick with my KDE love, and I'll have no problem staying there. Yeah, and as uh, as Dowdle in the chat room is pointing out, the beautiful thing is you put that cute library on GNOME, and you can use the best parts of KDE, and you put the GTK library on KDE, and you can use the best parts of GNOME, and you can really build what you want. And that's yeah. fine for you, Scott, but not for the everyday user. And that's who we're talking to. So, yes. Yeah, the if, default users, the right. ones that just go with the default apps, they're not going to know they can do that. Um, a lot of them will probably try and find out, oh, yeah, it works great. So, uh, but, you know, if you're going out of the open box, most people aren't going to realize you can do that. All right, and our, our topic, we didn't... I'm going to cut us off here because we're, we're going on an hour already. Uh, there was an interesting article Seth dug up called Nine Things That Are Never Admitted About Open Source. Uh, and it's an article from uh, datamation.com. And I think that's going to be the meat of our show next week, uh, just because I'm not through poking the bear, apparently. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's an interesting read, uh, and I think it dovetails nicely with the... Uh, the episode we did last week. And since they'll come in order as episode yeah. 80 and 81, it'll work out nicely uh, yeah. for somebody listening in numerical order instead of chronological order. Uh, so that's yeah, what nice, you can... Nice accidental there. Right. That's what you can look for next week. Uh, but we're not done um, for this week. Uh, Seth... Uh, no, wait. 
what's the guy on the left's name? Chris. Uh, what is uh, what's your next desktop environment that you're going to look at? The next one on the in the sites is XFCE. That's going to be the next one. XFCE um, is a super low power, lightweight um, mm-hmm. desktop environment. And then after XFCE, I'm going to put my sights down on LXMDE, which is also even super lighter. lightweight, right? Yeah, the XFC it'd be like KDE if you're going off of the hogs. KDE is the big one, then GNOME three, then XFCE, then LX or L yeah LXDE. LXDE is even lighter than XFCE, so it, the in the next two months should be strange for me because I'm, I'm gonna have to do a lot of stuff by hand and or figure out a new paradigm because they don't work the same. If you're use if you've used Puppy, I'm pretty sure XFCE is the default desktop environment in Puppy, um, which makes sense considering Puppy is designed to be really small. Um, and it's uh, it's good. I like it, but it is very different than anything else uh, out there. It's very different than Mac. It's very different than Windows. It's it's its own thing. Um, and I'll be interested to hear what you have to say. You're gonna again, just in case you don't remember, the rules for the the desktop environment SmackDown is Chris puts it on every machine and lives with it for a month, and then comes back yeah. and tells you about it. Yeah, this this one's gonna be painful. I think the XFCE is gonna be. Yeah, I'm curious to find out how I, if if I can survive a month with <laughs> S, with XFCE. This this may be the one that ends the experiment. This <laughs> this may be all right. I'm done. I'm going back to KDE. <laughs> well, maybe. It, well, this one might not be so because it is pretty refined. Um, in my pre my pre playing with it, um, and it, it's it's got some good refinement on it from my my. Uh, let's see. I put it on the desktop, or the lap, the new test laptop last night. Um, oh, just so to respond I, I, to a comment in the chat room, he says XFCE is a lot like GNOME 2 if you configure it that way. Chris isn't configuring; he's taking the defaults, and that's yep. the important thing here. The inst- and the install base for this test will be the XFCE that comes default on the DVD for Fedora 18. Now I will be installing extra stuff. I'm not just going off of what's there. Um, I'll install the codecs and Flash and everything else. But and I'm trying to make sure I keep my my issues that I have with it not uh, Fedora issues, but the desktop issues, the actual environment. So I'm going to try and keep those two separate. Now there might be some issues that I come up with that are Fedora driven, not XFCE driven. So we'll see how well things go up. And I'm actually going to try and keep a, a diary on this one. Nice. Cool. Uh, okay. On to the tips of the week. Chris, what is your command line of the week? LK. Now, if for most of those people I don't know, LK is the command line for making links. In Linux's world, it's sim- simlinks yes. is what they use. All right, wait, um, you're, you're going to have to back up a little bit because <laughs> non-Linux people don't even know what that means. Yeah, that's uh, uh, I'm trying The to closest to... analog is a shortcut, but that's not yep. at all what it is. No, um, a shortcut points a file to another file in Windows. Links can do that. They can also do directories to directories or uh, in the case that I'm 
going off of tonight was making a directory. I'm linking my Dropbox file folders that have my config files in the places in XFCE for, say, like things like Pigeon and my uh, hex chat config files. So I'm linking not just program or directories, but configuration files so they all synchronize everywhere. Um, yeah, if you, it's new to Windows 7. There is an ability to do symlinks in Windows 7, but it's sort of difficult to get to. The, the easiest way to wrap your head around it is it's a, it's a hard drive wormhole. You put the it's it's a portal gun, yeah. all right. You yeah. put the blue portal here, you put the red portal there, and you transport it immediately from one to the other. So yep. it's not the same. It's not a shortcut exactly, uh, because the system doesn't know the difference. They step into the red portal and come out the blue portal, and that's just all there is to it. It's uh, a wormhole. So, yeah, it's it's a wormhole. It's on your hard drive. So and it's there's a lot of power there, but it's also kind of weird. You you kind of have to wrap your head around it. But you can say, I want my home directory slash home to actually be all the way across the network on a LAN in Peoria. And the system says, all right, I'm fine with that. It doesn't know the difference. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, when you start getting used to sim links and hard links and you go from like a, a, my Linux machines and I go sit down in front of my, a Windows machine and I'm like, wait, I want to do that. No, give me a link. I don't right. want a shortcut, and it, it, you're it's it's hard because once you get used to how links work, you don't want shortcuts anymore. And it's it's actually my portal analogy wasn't good, but you can because you can have multiple blue holes in one red hole, so you can link multiple things to the same place. Yes. So it's really it's even more convoluted than that. <laughs> and that's scratching the surface because there's there's even more things you can do with with the ln command. Uh, look up the man uh, the the man pages on just ln or the lk, and it goes on for a very long time for something <laughs> that is so simple. There's a lot of switches that you can shove on these links. So yeah, there be dragons enter if oh. you dare. Oh, there'd be dragons and sea monsters at the end of the map on this one. It's bad. I was, and you know, I'm I'm not afraid of the command line and reading those man pages, obviously. But when I I opened this one up and I was like, whoa, I didn't know I could do all of this because I've never had to do some of those things, and it was just like, what? <laughs> all right, so LK, if you dare. Uh, yes. Seth, what is your, your link of the week? Well, I'm going to hit people up with QuickUp, Q-U-I-C-K-U-P.com. And you go there, it's kind of like an all-in-one, like Wikipedia dictionary kind of thing. You know, you can get a lot of, uh, a lot of the same stuff through um, Google, but you can go to QuickUp, and it's just like a search page. You type in whatever word, and then... You know, you click and see what what you wanted to come up into. So I came across it. I thought it was pretty cool, and I wanted to pass it along. Quickup.com. Yeah, it's really cool. You type in a word, and it uh, sort of pre-searches. Uh, and there's all these buttons. There's Collins. There's Dictionary.com. There's Free Dictionary. Those are those the sort of things. And you type in a word, um, and it sort of. Um, pre-highlights the the buttons for the things that it knows you have and i think there's the, there's a check 
box there. I'm not really sure what that does. But so you say I want to. I'm. I typed in the word tomato, and I'm going to click the Wikipedia button, and it takes me to the Wikipedia entry for tomato, but also leaves all the buttons at the top, so I can go to the Collins button, and it takes me to the Collins English Dictionary. Um. So if I type in the word, if I can spell it right, aneurysm, see what it gives me. It takes me to uh, a bunch of different things. So the Collins isn't there more uh, anymore, and then the Cambridge Dictionary isn't there more. So that's that's a really cool tool. Yeah, if you're and, a word hound. Yeah. The way where it's better than Google is you're staying on the quick up page. You're not right. having to open a new tab or go back or anything. You just like I did the word follow. And you can click on Collins or WordNet or Wik- or Wiktionary, Cambridge or whatever, and you know you can click a different tab on that page, and you're not going back and forth between tabs. So you're in the same browser window. So uh, again, you know, I mean, it's probably not everybody's cup of tea, but I thought it was really cool and worth passing along. I'm always interested in cool little neato links on the web. Yeah, that is pretty neat. I wish they had like I see when you go into the little star, so you can add to add more um, search places. They have Bing as something you could <laughs> yeah. add. We a, but you know I I think it'd be cool if they had like Google or Duck 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 Duck, Duck, Duck Go, Go, which yeah. is Google, so that wouldn't really help you. But you and know what I mean, a- though. But. But it would be nice if they had actual heavy search engines as well as these right. um, research search engines. There appears to be a, a Google Chrome uh, plug-in as well. And, there, and a there's Firefox also a one. Firefox plug-in. Yeah. I just happened to be visiting it in Chrome. So uh, that, that, that's a great tool. If I were still in college, I would use that heavily. Yeah, I think I'm going to point this one to all the students at school. I think the, the students will really use this a lot, considering they can go to all those different search places those research places and get their research in one stop. Yeah, the, and the pre-filling is what makes it best. It does a pre-search, and you don't have to waste your time at places where that there isn't an entry for that. Good one, Seth. Thank you. Now, it's no uh, where to buy uh, 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 fairground equipment or uh, what was it, uh, roller coaster <laughs> equipment, but uh, it's a good yeah, one. Yeah, no backyard roller coaster or how to build a starship in 100 years yes. or anything like that. But, you know... I like to throw some serious stuff in there too once in a while. I don't know. You threw down the gauntlet with the roller coaster one. I, I don't think you will ever bring one better than that one. But uh, yeah, you that may was surprise a good me. One. <laughs> well, you know, I've got a. I've. I'm getting down to the end of a lo- of a list I had came up with. I kind of do these in spurts. I get a whole bunch, and then I go through and pick them out of there. And then when that gets down next to nothing, so I'm about to start my next. Uh, my next crawler search, so to speak, and see what I can find out. There. And those spurts tend to coincide with slow day Google sessions at work. No, I play a lot of uh, <laughs> logic puzzles at work, so uh, no. Th- <laughs> a lot of this comes out of show prep. I'm looking for stuff, and um, I'll find some weird link, and I'll click on it, and then I'll see something there, and it's kind of like you know, I actually surf the web and end up on them a lot. You know, it's been a long time since I did that. The uh, surfing the web, just clicking a link and seeing where that takes me, and going to the next link. I mean, I used to do that all the time. Yeah. That's what you did. And Tumblr and um, stumble, uh, stumble, Facebook, stumble really. upon are sort of the same thing. And Facebook kinda can give you that. Well, because um, everybody posts random crap to Facebook, right? You know, you're not going to put anything serious there. Like me, I pretty much repost George Takai pictures. That's. Uh, <laughs> 
George Takai has to be the most reposted man on Facebook. Well, that's because he puts some of the funniest stuff out yeah. there. He's probably got like a team of 30 people coming up with stuff, and he's just sitting up in his captain's chair going, no, that's crap. Bring me something else. My public demands more. Oh, <laughs> uh, All right. Get, get some good show, guys. I'm, I'm going to step into Sean's role here and be cheerleader. This was a good discussion and, and great links and um, good stuff. So, well, thank uh, you. Uh, if you would like to uh, have a suggestion, if you've got a, a link you would like to send to Seth, or uh, if you've got a challenge for the command line godfather, a really uh, good uh, desktop environment that you're just super passionate about and you know that he's going to love if he just tries it, the best place to uh, let us all know about that is to uh, go to elementop.com, use the Contact Us button at the top of the page, or just send us all an email, edl at elementop.com, goes to all of us. Or if you want to be on the show in a literal way at elementop.com, you can use the leave us a voicemail widget at the top of the page or call uh, 559-IAM-OP, leave us a voicemail, and we will play it on the air as long as it isn't terrible. I did have one guy for another show, and if you're listening, Bjorn, I love you, but come on. He sent a 15-minute feedback recording, an MP3 that he recorded and sent back. There's no way that's ever going to make it on any of the shows. In fact, I never, I listened to a couple of minutes of it, but 15 minutes, come on. That's a show. Publish <laughs> that in your feed. I subscribe to your feed. I'll listen to it. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's too much. So keep it reasonable. Um, if you're sending an email, less than 12,000 words, please. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> these are the rules for contacting Elvin Opie. But honestly, thanks for, for uh, your, your continued support of the show. Uh, we are uh, happy to be your digital servants. And for now, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.